0: Hello there, and welcome to episode 57 of the Frantic Football Podcast on World Football Index. I'm Neil Shelat, and as ever on a Monday, I'm delighted to say that I've been joined by Alex Barker. How are you, Alex? I'm doing very good, Neil. Very happy to be on. Right. We have a lot to go through, even for uh, July weekend, because, of course, all the major leagues haven't really started. But there are some uh, leagues starting for their 2023-24 season, Uh, around the world and of course some of the summer leagues carrying on with some interesting results so that's mainly our agenda for this episode we do have a little bit of transfer business and a very interesting development in Austria which we will touch on last but we'll be starting with uh, a minor title in Uruguay so let's get into it after this As promised the title in Uruguay to start with. Uh, Liverpool have been crowned a uh, Torneo Intermedio champions after beating Defensor Sporting 1 0 in the final. Now, this is interesting because uh, I found the format of the Primera División in Uruguay rather interesting. So, I think, Alex, of course, you are, are a famous critic of league formats, so I think th- this might be something of interest to you as well. So mm-hmm. how it works is, I'm I'm sure you're aware of you know especially around the Americas they have the apertura clausura format, uh across the season which is basically a season split in half and you have two champions, and then they play each other at the end for like the seasonal champion but re- really there's two champions every season right? Now, you
1: already pushing you already pushing up <laughs> brain limits but sure,
0: <laughs> oh, okay wait let let me quickly explain that so basically the season is divided into two halves, the Apertura and the clausura. So Apertura is the first half, clausura is the second half. They're completely separate. Uh, Every team plays each other once in... So let's just talk about the Apertura. Every team plays each other once uh, in in the sort of regular round-robin format. And then you generally have playoffs. So, you know, top four, top eight, whatever, qualify. And then at the end of the playoffs, obviously, you get your champion. And so you do this twice in a year, basically. So you get two champions that way. Uh, and then at the end, generally, there's a combined table which decides stuff like relegation and continental qualification. Uh, and also at the end, there's a match between the two champions, like the Apertura champion and the Clausura champion. Uh, and that technically decides the seasonal champion, but that's sort of like a community shield, really. No one really cares about it. It's mainly like, you know, Apertura champion is a big thing, and Clausura champion is the other big thing. Are you confused already? Or is that somewhat clear?
1: I think, been, I think that was helpful to understand. That was, was well okay, explained. but now I'm about to confuse you because
0: what they do in Uruguay is they do that and plus for some reason which I haven't really understood in the middle in between the apertura and the clausura they have this torneo intermedio, which is a totally separate thing uh, where they divide the teams into two separate groups where they play each other once and then the teams that finish at the top of either group and I think the division is arbitrary or well I couldn't find any pattern either way so there's uh what 16 teams in Uruguay so there's two groups of eight in the top flight and then everyone places are one so seven matches each and then the top two in either group play each other in the final and that is for I think you get like qualification to this Copa Sudamérica, which is the Sudamericana, which is the second tier competition in South America. But that's so. It. Is so it like? A... Is it
1: like? Is it like stopping the Premier League season in January, having a quick Carabao Cup? Uh,
0: sort of, but like they stop the season anyway.
1: But it's just
0: uh, like so, so they split it in half anyway, which is normal for like South America. But they have this yeah they have this Carabao Cup sort of thing in the middle. Which uh, yeah, is is tough to get my head around, but it's it's a Carabao Cup starting in a league format, so yeah, it's, it's like a league but just with one final. Okay, so, yeah, that's an interesting one to say at least, but anyway, Liverpool won. Uh, so also oh,
1: one by the English side,
0: no, 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 the Liverpool Montevideo. It's the oh, no, name, oh, right, of course.
1: <laughs> 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 fair enough, fair enough.
0: Uh, right, let's let's go on then. Uh, let's head next to the World Cup, where we're in the final day of the groups, and we already have some very interesting developments. Uh, earlier today, we had Group B draw to a close with hosts Australia needing to beat Olympic champions Canada to stay in the tournament, and they did just that. A, a resounding 4-0 win did the job for them, and it knocked Canada out. They're out of the groups for the first time since 2011. Nigeria threw instead with an unbeaten record through the group. So, very int- impressive uh, campaign for them. Uh, elsewhere in Group C, Japan really impressed, beating Spain 4 uh, 0. Even though they didn't have much of the ball, they defended really well and counterattacked with great clinicality. So, they topped the group ahead of Spain, of course, who were already through. Zambia got their first goal, first win, first points uh, at the World Cup, beating Costa Rica 3 1 there. But that's a Bit of a dead rubber, and back in Group A we had Norway thrash the Philippines six 0 to advance. Uh, behind Switzerland, who held on to a goalless draw against co-host New Zealand, who sadly went out despite uh, a great group stage campaign from them. Still have some stuff to decide, of course. On on that day, uh, which was well yesterday, uh, we had a massive result in Group H where Germany lost to Colombia. Uh, 2-1 with a stoppage time winner after a pretty late penalty for Germany to equalize. I think Colombia absolutely deserved it. So they're top of the group now. They're almost certainly through. Uh, Germany would need to beat South Korea to be sure of advancing. But they're relatively safe. Goal difference certainly in their favor after thrashing Morocco. Uh, But Morocco themselves, by the way, beating South Korea 3-0... Uh, and putting themselves somewhat in contention. Of course, they still have a terrible goal difference because of that loss, but uh, they're not entirely out of it. So a, a great debut campaign for them, of course, first win for them and first goal for them uh, as well. And of course, we have a few other groups to decide. Uh, group F, where Brazil are in trouble, they'll need to beat Panama. Uh, uh, and no, Sorry, not Panama. they need to beat Jamaica rather to go through. A draw would see them knocked out with Jamaica advancing alongside France, uh, and of course, Group G as well, where Sweden are top, but uh, Italy, South Africa, and Argentina, all with a chance of following them through. So some interesting stuff coming up this week, and of course, that'll be very exciting to watch. Right, now let's head on to some of the leagues. Uh, Let's start in Germany, where the Zweite Bundesliga is looking no less exciting this season, and it certainly did not disappoint. In its opener, Hamburg against Schalke, two massive teams, we spoke about them on Friday, and what a game it was. 5-3 it ended in Hamburg's favour after all sorts of stuff, uh, match swinging both ways. We had Hamburg take the lead, Schalke equalised, take the lead before half-time. Hamburg on on the other side of the break retook the lead. Schalke equalised again, had a player sent off, and eventually conceded in stoppage time to lose the game. 5-3 in the end with a late goal uh, scored when their keeper was up for a set piece. So an incredible start to the the Bundesliga campaign and as ever I'm sure this will be a cracking season there. Uh, An interesting thing to note in one of the other matches uh, was uh, in the match between Fortuna Dusseldorf and Hertha Berlin, uh, manager Paul Day of Hertha of course uh, started one of his sons and substituted. Two others on. So three of his sons were on the pitch in the same match in a game he was managing. And I mean, I I don't know if there's a way to check this, but I'm pretty sure that has to be some sort of a record. They lost anyway, mind you. But a manager having three of his or her own children on the same pitch, which in a match they are taking charge of for the same team. Uh, Surely, surely that's got to be some record. But I mean, they're going to have to do... A bit better than that, if they are to have any chance of getting promoted, because that was a rather disappointing performance from them. Right, uh, let's head on now to Belgium, where the Pro League has also gotten underway. The season opener, uh, the Brussels Derby between Union, Saint Wars and Anderlecht. And it was a record extending 7th consecutive win for Union over Anderlecht. No one has had even won 6 consecutive matches in this Derby, which historically has been pretty evenly matched, but now, Union, in in fine form, I think, of course, that was also Alexander Blessing's first match, or first competitive match, in charge of them, and we saw some impressive stuff from him, of course, you know, he's a a master of pressing and out-of-possession stuff, so suits Union, as we discussed on Friday, but I think just in general, this is arguably, on paper, perhaps the... I mean, not the weakest, but like the least strong, I guess, Union have been since their promotion, because they've lost a lot of key players in this window. And as always, you know, they don't replace them with big names. They replace them with players from, you know, lower leagues, not really highly rated often. And obviously, then they tend to develop. But at this moment, this squad doesn't really look particularly exciting. Yet they are getting the job done, at least here. So, let's see how... We said that
1: last season, to be fair. We said that. that, I don't think there's been... We didn't say anything about... I never heard anything about Victor Boniface until we started doing well early (laughs) on. So, you never know.
0: That's the thing. That's the point about them. You know, they pick up these, you know, players from lower tiers, not really highly rated. But then, I mean, either they find something, they see something in them which we're missing, or they develop them so well that they turn out to be sensational. So, you're right. You know, it could go anywhere, but... A good start, and of course, in blessing, I think they have a really, really good manager this time. So, yeah, should be exciting. But you've you've got something uh, from elsewhere in Belgium, Alex. Uh, that's a, you've got something about a player who I, I'm sure we all rate. So, what's going on there?
1: Yes, another another striker, Gift Orban, uh, the Nigerian. We we're getting a, very excited about in the second half of um, last season because I think he moved to Gent in January of this yep. year. Uh, just checking his record, he's got 22 goals in 24 appearances, which is insane. And now he's got one goal in one league appearance this year. Uh, he was a bit rusty starting at the game as Ghent played a uh, quarter and won 3-2. Um, he had a couple of uh, blasted shots early in the game. One, one, one went a mile over, but uh, and he almost got another goal um, before he's won the 70th minute as a uh, Kuypers, the right winger. Headed towards goal when he almost chased it in. Um, his goal was really tidy. Get got in behind on his right foot and belted it into the bottom corner, swerving away from the keeper. And it's a player we've got to keep an eye on this season, as depending on how long Gent can keep him, as I know there is a rumor that Lille, if they sell Jonathan David, they'll buy it, Gift Orban. If not, Gent might have to be taken seriously this season.
0: Yeah, they definitely have an exciting enough squad and, of course, a sensational striker. I think he also scored in the Europa Conference League uh, sort of qualifier earlier in the week. So, two goals in two games this season for him. As you say, he tends to score a goal a game somewhat. So, yeah, I I guess he's he's keeping it up. So, yeah, as you say, should be one to watch. But let's head on now to Scandinavia, where we had a massive result in Sweden in the dial race defending champions uh, Baker Hecken hosting shock leaders Elfsburg, uh, and getting after a decent uh, well not not the best of starts they conceded to Elfsburg first but equalized soon thereafter. Uh, but before half time they had a player sent off so it was one one at the break but Elfsburg, with the numerical advantage would have backed themselves to extend the gap at the top from four points to seven uh, with a win. but that was not to be in the second half they looked really really poor. Even though they had that numerical advantage, they conceded two goals before the hour mark uh, and never really recovered from that. So they lost the game 3-1. The gap at the top is now just one point between Elfsberg and Hecken, although Hecken have played one more match. But just before we recorded this, uh, Malmö beat Bernamö, I think it was 3-1. So they are now level on points with Hecken and they have played the same amount of games as Elfsberg. So, at present, the top three in Sweden, separated by just a point, including defending champions Hecken, record champions Melmo, and shock contenders Ellsberg. What a title race that's going to be. We have, what, 12 or 13 matches, depending on who you're talking about, left. And, yeah, second half of the season, basically, this is going to be one title race to watch because Ellsberg were unbeaten since the first match day when they, surprise surprise, lost to Hecken as well. And... They had an eight-match winning run in the middle, so they raced to the top. But now the people are catching up to them, so this should be really, really exciting uh, in the second half of the season. There, so that's definitely one to watch. Uh, another uh, interesting title race we have is in Swe- uh, not sorry, in Sweden, in Finland, uh, where HJK of Helsinki, Helsinki, of course, are you know the dominant force to be uh, honest in general. But they are, they've dropped down to third now because uh, SJK beat them this this weekend, 1-2, uh, uh, the final score. Uh, and so the league leaders now uh, are, are Coups who've, who've jumped over uh, thanks to uh, a win over FC KTP, some really interesting team names as well. Uh, but uh, SJK have a game in hand, so they could go three points clear at the top of the table as they search for... I think their first title since about 2015. So that's another exciting title race to keep an eye on. HJK definitely the favorites one, would imagine. But dropping down to third at the moment. And uh, Let's move on now. Let's head on to Switzerland. Where I just want to quickly mention uh, Servet having a good time. They are of course playing Champions League qualifiers. Uh, I think they are level with Genk from the first leg. They are going to Belgium next. Uh, but they've also started off their league campaign with a win and a draw, beating uh, against rather, the two Zurich clubs. They beat Grasshopper 3-1. Uh, and this weekend, they hosted FC Zurich, went down by two goals before the R mark, but came back to draw 2-2. And of course, that's just the first few matches in charge of them for uh, Rene Weiler who's taken over uh, over the summer. He was last in Japan at Kashima Antlers, before that in Egypt at El Ahli previous uh, jobs also include Anderlecht and Nürnberg and I was quite impressed by how they were playing they had some really nice combination play uh, in the final third uh, and playing some eye-catching football so I think Servet might be ones to watch this season Uh, but of course a long way to go uh, in the Swiss Super League. Let's next go to Croatia where we also have a very nascent league season and apparently an interesting goal scorer in one of the games. Alex has got something on that for us.
1: Yes, uh, Hardik Split uh, beats uh, Rijka, Re- Rijka, I think is the right way Rijeka. to say it, 1-0. Rijeka, i want to go Rijka, that's probably the Croatian way. Hadouk beating Rijka, 1-0. Uh, and the scorer was a man called R- Rokas Put. S- Put- right, right. Do, yeah. do you know him nil? No, I have...
0: I mean, I don't know what the interesting thing is, unless he is the American player in Croatia. But I do remember... Oh, look at that ball
1: has. knowledge from yourself! Yes, no, wait, really, he's the guy. Yeah, not only is he an is Amer- an American eighteen year old in Croatia, but he's got a very rich footballing history. I mean, Hajduk Split is um one of the top rated teams. It's not quite as good as Dinamo Zagreb in terms of like the players they produce, but it's definitely up there. And the place he was at before was at the uh, Barcelona Satellite Academy in the uh, USA. Uh, before that. it was at Sporting Kansas. So clearly a talent to keep an eye on. I was just looking at his um, statistics. He played quite a bit last season um, for a high Duke. He made 15 starts. He seems to be a right central midfielder. FotMob said he played this game at right centre-back. His goal was like a scrappy one, um, reacting really quickly to a deflected shot and poking it in. Uh, Fotmont said he played at centre back, but he might kind of suggests otherwise. But this is a player I think we should all keep an eye on because you don't have that much of football in history and move to Hydrok Split uh, and not go someplace. And especially as a US, uh, a US player, very interesting career path.
0: Yeah, indeed. Uh, full disclosure: the reason I f- I know that is because he played at the Under Twenty World Cup, and and I remember mm. seeing the sort of Croatian name, and I was like, wait a minute. Where's this guy? And then I realized. Well, is it
1: his name is not even Croatian. I checked this as well. He's uh, he was born in uh, Oklahoma, um, to Lithuanian parents. Ooh, li- ah, I see. Right,
0: right. Oh, one of them. One of them was approached as well to play for Lithuania. And ah, says, and one of
1: one of the parents, his father was a Lithuanian marathon runner, coming seventy fourth in the two thousand and four Summer Olympics, as Ooh. Wikipedia said. I will not be ashamed to say.
0: Uh, yes, by the way, my stuff is also from Wikipedia in fairness, but yeah, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Yeah, I suppose, certainly one to watch then, uh, and so mm-hmm. let's see how he gets on. He's 18 years old, as you say, so definitely a young talent to watch out for. But I got something else as well from the Croatian League, uh, something to do with a team. Uh, Osijek, if I'm saying that right, have had quite an exciting start to the season. They're top of the table uh, on six points as a Hajduk, and... Their two games have both involved seven goals. They started with a six-one thrashing of Slaven, and against newly promoted Rudesh uh, this weekend, they they played a seven-goal thriller away from home, where they conceded thrice uh, before I think forty minutes pulled one back before half time, and then uh, in late in the second half, on came uh, Major Jackdash, and he scored a hat trick with the equalizer in the eighty-third minute. And the winner in the 89th minute to win the game for Ossijek. So, I have to say they're entertaining their fans uh, in their first couple of games. Let's see how long they can keep this up. But 14 goals altogether uh, in their first two league games. So, yeah, not too bad. And where else can we go? Let's now go quickly back again uh, up north to Norway, where Waller are not at all having a good time We've Mentioned them a couple of times in the past, especially after the big, big shock switch from Gair Backe, from local rivals Lilström, the most successful over the last couple of years, to Volarenga, and things have not gone off to a good start for him. He's lost his first three league games, including last weekend against Sandefjord, who were below them in the table in the relegation zone at the start of the match. They equalized very late on but conceded again in stoppage time to lose 3-2 and that has dropped Wallerenga down into the relegation zone. So Sandefjord have leaped above them into the playoff spot. Wallerengar were there at the start of the game. But now they are down in the, the relegation zone proper. So certainly time, I suppose, for alarm bells to be ringing. I will need to check when they were last relegated. But I can tell you, it's definitely not in the last 10 or so years. So, they, I mean, they're a massive, massive club in Oslo, as are Lillstrom, really. The two big clubs and, yeah, you know, the, the two biggest rivalry, or rather the biggest rivalry uh, in Sweden between them. But, I mean, to see them struggling like this is quite shocking. It's happened for, I think, a couple of seasons. They were mid-table in the last two seasons, I think 6th and 7th. But in the relegation zone is... It's something really crazy. And I, I've just checked, last they were relegated was back in 2000. Uh, they've gone on to win the league once since. So, yeah, it's it's quite, quite a shocking turnaround. And, well, let's see how it goes because they will need, I mean, their fans will definitely expect them to turn it around and at least stay up this season. Generally, they'd be expected to compete at the top. So, quite a big story there. But at the top, a big story as well. Uh, Bodo Glimt losing to so this weekend, who are now up in third, having a very impressive season themselves. But with that result, uh, if uh, Fiking win their game in hand, they will close the gap to Bodo Glimt, down to just 3 points. And mind you, at the start of the season, really, especially after about 10 or so games, it looked like Glimt would absolutely run away with the title. So, uh, it's it's been a comeback from the chasing pack. Uh, Glimt also recently lost, I think, to Storms said, And this was their, I think, first home defeat of the league campaign. So, uh, a great result for Thrumso playing some nice stuff, uh, but Glimped under pressure from the chasing pack. So, perhaps something to watch out over there. And lastly, let's head on to Lithuania, uh, where I have some interesting stuff from the a Liga title race. Jalgrish uh, uh, of Vilnius, of course, the dominant force there, have won the last 3 league seasons, but they are under threat. Uh, This weekend, they lost to FK Paneveshish, if I'm saying that right, uh, who are now 6 points clear at the top of the table, with the game in hand, as they seek their first ever top flight title. They were only founded back in 2015, uh, after a major club in the city went bankrupt. They were sort of founded to fill the void, so to speak. And they were, interestingly, directly dropped into the second tier as opposed to starting at the bottom of the pyramid. And after three seasons, they won promotion. So in 2018, they were up. Well, in 2019, they started life in the top flight. Won the cup in 2020. That's their first title. But they're seeking their first ever top flight league title. And with about a third of the season left, a six-point lead and a game in hand means they're in a great position. So that's going to be a story to follow all right now let's head over to spain where alex has got something interesting from
1: what is the king's cup king's league what's it called the king's league Neil, how much do you know about this because hopefully i mean the listeners are gonna absolutely love this but i just want to see your reaction to the things i'm about to say all right so here's what i know i know that pk
0: owns one of the clubs of the league or is doing a lot uh with this i mean he's always talking about it I know that they randomly, they get like high-profile players randomly. I know that some professional players have had some squabbles with their clubs because they went to play here. I know they get okay. celebrities and stuff as well. That's all Okay, know. So, so you know,
1: you know the, the bits I know. I mean, just a bit of background on this. Uh, obviously, guys, we're now working at The Athletic, and uh, we're looking at some videos for this week, and you obviously find a good video upcoming um, on this topic and you can also find a really big feature on the Reflect about this because uh, PK's Seven Aside League. He it was his idea, and he does it with a bunch of big streamers. Uh, it's their first of a the season. They just had their finals at the weekend. They sold they sold sixty thousand seats in the Wanda Metropolitano. Uh, a wow. couple about a couple of months after selling ninety thousand seats at the New Camp okay. to watch the Seven Aside League. It's based around. Um, Getting young people to watch it much in the same way of Florentino Perez, and now I've got Neil's camera up on my screen. I'm about to tell you the rules of this. I can't, I can't even remember the team that won at the weekend, but it's just the best time to talk about because the highlights they they post the games for free on YouTube. Mm. Um, so it, it's good. Is and the highlights so I recommend watching. Um, they started every game by someone tightroping a hundred feet above the stadium, um, dropping the ball into the center circle. For the teams to fight over, okay. um, uh, eighteen minutes into one game, um, a giant dice was thrown onto the pitch, uh, we, and only one dot popped up, which meant both teams had to play one man for the rest of the first half. <laughs> so it was a, it was just a game of one v one. Do you then, have rolling subs? Uh, uh, yes, rolling subs. Okay, so and then there's my favorite rule is a uh, um el penalty presente. Which is exactly how it sounds. Uh, the club president has the power to command a free penalty, which they must walk onto the pitch and take themselves. Wait, and, is, uh, is that like once a match or once a season? Once a match. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, so there was three penalties the weekend. I mean, one of them like scuffed it wide. Another belted it in. Who was like actually look ready for it? And my favourite, I think, is the biggest streamer in Spade, for forgot. This is very. It, guy dressed up in a t-shirt serious face and he did not look like a footballer a very stocky build just walks onto the pitch you hit, the commentators, well the commentator's voice blares out around the stadium so you're hearing them going and he just he walks up toe pumps it into the keeper and it it bounces in just by pure luck and he walks off to the camera to do like the sternest face like I am him I have just done this Is I can't tell you it is incredibly entertaining and uh i think that was my favorite football event from the weekend i recommend everyone to go and watch the highlights
0: wow very interesting you know i just remembered another thing from the league which was i I forget what it was but it was like one of the professional players who didn't want to be recognized by their club so they came in as sort of a wild card with like a complete face covering uh yes
1: that was a las Palmas reserve player and everyone Ooh. was really disappointed because they thought it was like messy. <laughs> right, right.
0: So, yeah. I mean definitely not certain entertainment entertainment that league, but yeah, got quite something. I, thank, thank you very much for that. That's very entertaining. I am deeply intrigued. Sadly, the season's over now, but I guess we'll we'll wait for the next one. But,
1: Absolutely. Yeah,
0: some interesting stuff. All right, from the Kings League the league's cup in north america which is i mean sometimes it is equally entertaining like do, do you know last week uh there was a match between atlas and new york city we spoke about this on friday and atlas won one nil by the way but they had a goal ruled out for uh, a, a, a pretty contentious offside call i forget what it was but anyway after the match they tweeted something where they had a quote from. The Nazi, sort of the Nazi advisor William Goebbels, uh, talking about like truth and lies and stuff, and it was crazy. Like it was something like if you lie repeatedly, it becomes the truth or whatever, whatever nonsense it was. But they had a screenshot of that offside decision, and a William Goebbels quote, and yeah, it was it was mad. And then obviously they deleted it and apologized and stuff. But yeah, so that's a serious competition. Uh, <laughs> to say the least. And we have the knockout set. Um, Obviously, uh, American and Mexican sides involved there. Uh, I suppose a couple of interesting ones. Uh, LFC, MLS champions taking on FC Sua- Juarez, who are not the strongest side in Mexico. So let's see how that goes. Uh, Inter Miami, of course, big in the news right now. They have Orlando City. Uh, and Tigres have the Vancouver Whitecaps, which could be an interesting one. Uh and Club León, uh, Congolese Champions League winners have Real Salt Lake. So those are a few of the what is it? Uh, eight? No, it's is it twelve? Are my eyes deceiving me? No, there's twelve knockout ties. So I don't understand how this bracket is going to work, but it will work. I hope. Uh, and I, I'll let you know how it works as it goes along, but that's the league's cup for you. Right, let's head on now to some transfer news. Some interesting moves uh, from the weekend. Let's start with one uh, to Marseille from Alex.
1: Yes, it's... uh want to get the name right. Uh, Ilimandai. Nde- Nde- Andai? Uh, That's how they say it. Andai. Anyway. Um, I, I would pronounce his second name perfectly, unless he's, but his first name has Mess Me Over. Anyway, Sheffield United winger going to Marseille. He got over 20 goals and assists last season in the Championship. Uh, no penalties in there as well. Uh, I found this move really interesting, mainly because Marseille's business again. If you look this summer, um, really the the, the in twenty twenty three, I'd say really exciting for French football. They're, in, if anything, they're a bit like PSG in getting players that not you wouldn't expect other teams to get. For example, Unahi after the World Cup really in demand, got it from Angers. They got Malinowski from um Atalanta. That was a big move. Uh, they've signed um, Ismail Assar as well from Watford, Renan Lodi from Atletica Madrid, and now Ndei, who would have been, I, I assume, a, a starter in the Premier League. So Marseille, I think, I, I mean, they're a team I like. I like the business. Yep, some very interesting stuff
0: uh, indeed. An exciting move, really exciting players, so definitely one to watch. Uh, let's now head on quickly to uh, Brazil, where Sao Paulo have signed James Rodriguez. So he will be back in action. He was last seen, uh, just about seen at Olympiacos. Didn't really get a lot of game time, especially towards the end of his stint. But just 32 years old still. There's still got some time ahead of him. Uh, and yeah, it's it's quite a career you look at it. Started at Banfield, moved to Porto, Monaco, Real Madrid, of course, after the World Cup, Bayern Munich, that loan spell, Everton, El Rayan in Qatar. Olympiacos and now Sao Paulo he's been around a few places and let's see how he gets on in Brazil if indeed we do get to see much of him but tell you what quick mention for another move uh, next door in Argentina where Edinson Cavani is joining Boca Juniors I think it might have been announced by now actually so he's left Valencia and he is off to Boca that's going to be interesting because Boca have had a really disappointing league campaign They will want to really recover in what is the second half of the season, which is uh, a sort of League Cup thing there. But at the end of the day, the overall table to decide the continental qualification is combined so they can still rescue their season and qualify for the Libertadores, either with a good campaign there or, of course, by winning it. So it's going to be interesting to see how they get on and how Cavani slots in. But uh, a big move from Argentina. And last one I've got is uh, probably a slightly disappointing one, honestly, because a very talented youngster, Oscar uh, Udenes uh, of uh, Beko Heken, has moved to Excelsior in the Netherlands, which is, as I say, slightly disappointing because I certainly think he could do a lot better than that. He has close to 50 appearances for Heken since he moved across from Sweden from Wernhermeau. He's a really, really exciting and gifted winger, about 20 years old now. Technically, absolutely excellent. So, I thought he could do a bit better than Excelsior. But he'll be in the RFC with them this season. Of course, they very much a lower table team. But, well, I mean, I guess he could be for their lower table, uh, you know, hero, so to speak. I mean, they'll definitely have to rely, rely a lot on him. They only finished one spot above the relegation zone last season. So, yeah, let's see how he gets in. But, you know. Uh, i thought he could could have done a bit better anyway let's move on uh, we have another move uh, from alex from the premier league which is interesting but let's let's hear from him now
1: yes it's been reported uh today at the time of recording by Fabrizio Romano and a couple of other sources that inter milan have made a 20 million euro verbal bid for gianluca Scamaca of west ham uh you know, it is likely they're gonna to have to pay a bit more, but if that's the ballpark we're going into, this is extremely low for Skimaka. It's only a year ago he moved for around 40 million to West Ham. And I think it's scored 13 goals to Seswell the year before, but it was mainly just how good and impressive he was just watching him, like extremely hard to get the ball off. Everyone was getting excited, and he's just not done well at West Ham, but that's been for so many reasons. I mean, they won the conference league, but they almost got relegated, they had a really bad year. Um, Also, their play style became more counter-attacking rather than more possession-based, which is what I think it was meant to be like with the additions of Paquetta and Skamaka. And Scamacca, on that regard, he's just not a player like Antonio. He's not going to chase dead balls. He hasn't got that speed. He hasn't got that physicality. Um, See, if anyone gets Skamaka for this price, I I assume you agree. It's an absolute steal.
0: Yeah, especially in this, this market, this economy, like, Rasmus Hoyland went for about three four times that. Uh, apparently, mm. who was it? El Hilal bid for Victor Semen one forty million and got rejected. Obviously, that's a completely different case. I mean, Saudi money, but still, that's you know that's messed up the market really. It's it's driven prices up so much. And yeah, twenty million, you know, double that even forty million again for Skamaka. is a good deal. And I think they're going to get him for less than forty. I think. Yeah, I don't know. Twenty five, thirty could be enough. So that'd be a great deal for Inter, I suppose. Would he be a Lukaku sort of replacement slash alternative? Because doesn't look like they're gonna get him.
1: Uh, yeah, it, I guess so. Well, th- th- this ties us into right, what would happen with uh, Lukaku, and I'm not sure if you noticed because I we mentioned this pre-recording. Uh, in our plan, since we've got Chelsea business, I've put in down, and. Neil mentioned about what's happening with Lukaku, and I assume you've not seen the news that it's just broke, that there's a swap deal apparently being organised between Vlaovic and Lukaku, so oh, wow. Chelsea and Juventus. Oh, uh, no. So that this could be where Lukaku is going. Yeah, um, they were linked. Also, yeah. Levi Cole was just signed up at Chelsea, and obviously Axel de Sassi and Lesley Oguicic in the past 24 hours are looking likely to sign as well. So, Chelsea have just gone mental. I assume, do you want to focus more on the Vlahovic-Lukhaki uh, thing? Because I've, I've tweeted, I like Vlahovic. I think he's incredibly overhated. I don't know about you.
0: And, I mean,
1: I I think at
0: Fiorentina, he was a bit overrated, honestly. He was good, but there were a, number, a fair few penalty goals in his tally, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. And so he wasn't that good. But yeah, you're right. I think at this point, they are a bit over... He is a bit over rather. He has got some decent qualities, uh, which especially, you know, his ball striking and stuff, which is is useful and handy to have in a striker. But I, I even mean, at Fiorentina, my main question with him was how he'd work in a possession-dominant system. Because Juventus is not entirely possession-dominant, especially in big games, but, you know, against like smaller teams, they do have to be. And certainly Chelsea under Pochettino, is, I expect, will be such a team and they will require their striker to link up and stuff. I'm not entirely sure uh, how good Vlaovic is at that. Certainly not, I'd say, to the level of Lukaku. So, I mean, obviously Lukaku and Chelsea is a completely different story, uh, which is really complicated at this point. So I I, I don't think he was ever going to go back and play for them. But yeah, Vlaovic, is, is, is anyone paying in that swap deal? Or is it just
1: um, I'm sure? I'm not sure. I think it's breaking as it comes out, but the the consensus I see seeing this is that eighty percent of Chelsea fans think this is a terrible deal. Uh, they do not want Vlahovic. I I think yeah, he did have a lot of penalty goals at Fiorentina, but I think Fiorentina were very possession based anyway, or Italiano. I think they were at like high rank 50s, fifty sixties, so obviously they wouldn't yeah, have it, deep it, they it wouldn't have deep blocks every week. Yeah,
0: true, but in that system Vlahovic was very much like uh, a, sort of a line leading striker so to speak in that mm. he was always high and like he wasn't involved in the build-up, right? But, like an awesome in at Napoli. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I think at at Chelsea I mean certainly you look at the other players they have it seems like Potricino does want a striker who is involved a bit and I mean just generally based on his system I mean he had Kane at Tottenham of course so yeah, I, I, I don't know, it's it's an interesting...
1: Maybe there should go sign sounds-
0: <laughs> <laughs> Interesting, that's... Uh, that would blow the market about a bit. it to Intel? Who knows? There we go. But yeah, I think that covers the Chelsea business as well. I mean, yeah. Uh, what they've been up to for the last couple of windows, I have no idea, but they're just holding players. So, all right. We'll keep at it, I guess. They have the money. <laughs> but let's head on now to Austria where we have an incredible cup tie. But before that, let me tell you a bit about Erbe Salzburg, who, uh, of course, lost uh, coach Matthias Yeisler last week. Sacked him, rather, because they found out he was in negotiations with El Ahli. So they were like, off you pop. And anyway, those negotiations were almost completed then. and He's officially signed on now. So now they played uh, this uh, weekend, I think their season opener, was it, against Altax. And they comfortably won in the end, uh, 2-0. So they've got off to the right start. But uh, it was the assistant manager, Florence Koch, who took charge of this one uh, on an interim basis. But apparently they've got a new man in. And that's Gerhard Struber, last seen at the New York Red Bulls, where he did not have a good campaign at all. And the most, obviously, they are also part of the Red Bull group, as their name suggests. The most interesting thing is, he was sacked from the New York Red Bulls, which in the Red Bull pecking order is, I would say, a step below Erbe Salzburg. So he was sacked there after some really poor performance on the pitch and also some off-pitch troubles. I think if you see the reaction from New York Red Bulls fans, they will tell you that he's a... I mean, people on Twitter are saying he's a bad coach and a bad person. So they're they're telling Salzburg fans to not to be excited at all. But he was sacked from a a club lower in, in that hierarchy by obviously the same management. And now being appointed to one of their better clubs, which I do not understand at all. But, yeah, they have done that. So, I guess maybe this is a decent shot at someone apart from uh, Salzburg winning the league. Who knows? Uh, but I, I, guess, I guess they're trying their best to make that happen. But the other reason I wanted to mention uh, Erbe Salzburg is because we had the draw for the second round of the Austrian Cup. And boy, do we have a massive tie. So, we've got Austria Salzburg against Airbus Salzburg. And who are Austria Salzburg? They are sort of an offshoot of the original club uh, that was, well, Austria Salzburg before Red Bull took over and obviously started their project with rebranding and everything back in 2005. So, what was Austria Salzburg? became Red Bull Salzburg but then a number of supporters of the original club who obviously did not want to be associated with a a commercial company and and indeed Red Bull went and made now because their club had been renamed they made their own Austria Salzburg with uh, with old name and old emblem and everything and obviously they don't have a lot of funding so they have been stuck in the lower tiers for a long long time uh and they're still in the i think the third or fourth tier at the moment so they are still down there they started off in the seventh tier got up to the fourth or to the third rather with back-to-back promotions but then they've been stuck around there uh but this is a massive massive game this is the first time these two clubs are meeting since the red bull takeover and I mean, this, I mean, the level of hatred between those fans and Red Bull Salzburg is something that's really difficult to describe. But that is going to be one hell of a cup tie. It's about a couple of months away. We They've already said that they're not going to be hosting it at Austria Salzburg Stadium, which is obviously really small. I think it doesn't even have 2,000 capacity. They are equally obviously not going to host it at Red Bull Salzburg Stadium because that would cause out- outrage. Uh, by the way, Austria uh Salzburg are the designated home team for this one. So they're going to have to find a neutral venue. And I mean, it's not going to be very neutral on the day of the match, I'm sure. But yeah, that's a massive, massive cup tie from Austria. That's possibly one of the biggest second round cup ties I have ever seen. So that's going to be absolutely one to watch. In about two months' time, it's uh, in late September, so yeah, we'll obviously speak about it then. But yeah, quite something from the second round draw in Austria, right? I think that that's that's your lot for today. Some very interesting stories and stuff, uh, in this episode. Uh, of course, we have a fair few things to look forward to in the week World Cup, obviously, the big highlight, but also Champions League qualifiers, second legs. We spoke about them on Friday, some big stuff there. Uh, Libertadores and Sudamericana round of 16. Of course, Europa Conference League qualifier second legs as well. So we will have a fair few things to discuss next time around. Hopefully we'll see you then. But thank you very much for joining us here either way. Big thanks to you, of course, as well, Alex. And we'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.